what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. internet travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith and i am not joined by my co-host ryan buell this week but i am joined by two guests via skype so if you hear any audio issues that's probably why um (laughs) first time guest on the show uh alicia hawks welcome thank you i'm super excited to be here i'm super excited that you're here and also uh hannah tyndall who is a return guest and you know as the wife of Corey tyndall Hey, everybody. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty, pretty well. I'm excited. Good. So the reason I brought you two on is because we're here to talk about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is the upcoming movie from (laughs) uh, Universal Pictures that is set in the Harry Potter universe. It's sort of a prequel, not really a prequel, but it takes place before all of the events of the Harry Potter books and movies. Um, And it's also in America rather than in Europe. And uh, if I were to do this, I'm basically handing the reins of the show over to you, but I will be your tour guide through the structure of it. Because if it were just me here, it would just be swear words and eye rolls because (laughs) I am so not into this movie. Um, And eye rolls you can't see on a podcast and swear words would get us an explicit tag. So... (laughs) Oh my gosh. <laughs> Drama. <laughs> so, but before I, we... Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I can promise that I won't offer any swear words, but I cannot promise that I won't offer some eye rolls. <laughs> well, Agreed. Alicia, you just came out as liking the Cursed Child, which... And, uh, <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm, I'm I feel like I'm going to get kicked out of with them. Bang. Yeah. I know. I knew you were going to bring that up too because it's so controversial, <laughs> which is which is so funny to me. Like my husband and I this morning were watching a review of that book, well, play, I guess, and uh, he hated it and he was like just railing on all of the flaws and like and I'm not, I don't mean to say that it was unflawed and it was a, like a perfect creation, and I also agree with this particular reviewer who was saying this is definitely not the eighth Harry Potter story. Um, because it's it's not literally the only thing about it that is Harry Potter is that Harry Potter's in it, but and that like you know there's magic and you know Hogwarts and all that, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it like I can't lie like I really liked it and I thought like when I finished it I was like that was a really good use of a few days like it didn't take long to read and it was a good story and it reminded me of my childhood and I don't know I I thought it was I thought it was fine people are freaking out about it. Hannah. (laughs) Just silence from Hannah. Just Uh silence. Okay. (laughs) Well, okay, here here is the thing. For the, you know, just for the record, I have not read it Mm -hmm. because I have at this point refused to read it. So 
I can't, you know, I cannot fully engage in whether or not I would have liked it or not. But I just from what I mean, and I read all the spoilers, so I kind of have ruined it for myself. But just from what I've heard, I have been dealing with some some anger issues. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, Anna, is that honest, like when it first was coming out. I was like adamantly against right, right, it. and I just I think we I, talked about it, so yeah. I feel a little betrayed. I know I'm so <laughs> sorry to have left you. My, I, it is not my Who's sister bought the book. Hannah? I know. <laughs> oh, like, I, I kid, I, I kid. <laughs> <laughs> my, my best friends betrayed me, and she gave it to me, and she was like, "Read this," and I was like, "Okay, well, what am I, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like, it's in my house, and I'm, it's got Harry Potter's name on it." What am I supposed to do? It's in my house. Surely I could not read it. I mean, that just seems. It was sitting there taunting me, Hannah. It's got the it's got the Gosh. cover art. It's got the, the cover, cover art. The cover art looks ridiculous. It's a basket like nest thing with a kid in it. That's just weird. You look so sad like, though. Don't you but, want to know why he's sad? But also, it kind no. of looks like a golden snitch. Well, yes, I mean, I think that was you. the intention. But why is he in a nest? He is a child. So I've read the whole play and I cannot answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> that is. <laughs> I Like I said, I'm I'm not going to pretend like this is not flawed. Like I, I fully admit. And like, in fact, when I was listening to the reviewer this morning, like I agreed with probably 50% of his points. Um, but and I don't know. It's hard to have a conversation about it since you haven't read it. And so right, like yeah. there's no specifics yeah. I can draw from to like have any sort of solidarity, but, okay. um, so here, yeah. but here is my question though, because one of my main, um, issue, well, I mean, the plot just sounded like, okay, did you just borrow back to the future too? And I don't know. So, but, um, again, haven't read it, but one of the main issues that I was dealing with that made me not want to read it was it sounded like they completely mutilated Harry's character and made him abusive to his children. No, what? No. Mm-mm. That's what no, I've been false. hearing people say. That is false reporting. They they okay. really paid good homage to Harry's character. I think they, they did a really good job sort of exploring him as a father and a husband. Um, the only character that they butchered was Ron. They did not well, understand they him. butcher Ron. And yeah, he's my the favorite, movies do as well. So I totally I just agree. don't think I'm going to He's my like favorite it. too. I don't understand <sighs> I might, why they... I might calm down. A little and, and read it eventually, but I, who man. So I know we got off on kind of a passionate uh, Harry Potter foot, and that's exactly why I brought you two on board, because your opinions on this are actually much stronger than mine. Um, I am a casual, at best, Harry Potter fan. I've read all the books. I've read some of the books multiple times. I've seen mostly all the movies. I did turn off the fifth one, because uh, I was very bored. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so that, that's why we're here. But before we get into the the Harry Potter of it all, um, we like to kick things off with what we've been uh, watching. So what what have you ladies been watching? Um, well, Corey and I have been insanely busy, and on top of that, I have been insanely sick. Mm. Um, the last five six weeks. Actually, I'm feeling much better now, but. I got some gnarly stomach virus thing. I'm not pregnant for those that are assuming. Um, <laughs> but 
I got something really bad. So I've been dealing with that. But because I've been dealing with that, I think I watched every single ridiculous chick flick that Netflix had to offer during my my stint on the couch. Um, I watched, I mean, this was a couple weeks ago, but I watched, uh, let's see, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Okay. I watched The Holiday, Mean Girls, A Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff. Classic. (laughs) Um, What else did I watch? I think I watched like 10 of them. I counted them all up. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Kate. Well, I was sick for two weeks. So like Kate and Leopold. um, (laughs) Made in Manhattan. (laughs) It was it was just quality riveting film. I think I saw I've seen one and a quarter of those movies that you (gasps) just listed. Oh, The Wedding Planner. I I watched The Wedding Planner, too. Okay, so you were on That's a J Lo kick. J Lo and J Lo and Matthew McConaughey. I mean, it was kind of just whatever I was was available on Netflix that I didn't have to get off the couch and insert into the DVD player. That was that was the standard. So it was pretty great. But um, we also, while I was sick, binge watched Stranger Things. Yeah. So I finally was convinced. Corey convinced me I could handle it. I'm not entirely sure he was correct, but I watched it, and <laughs> it was. So good that I was willing to deal with being a little bit horrified. So, <laughs> oh man, it was amazing. So good. I loved it. Yes. So, yeah. And uh, listeners, you will hear Corey and I talk about the first episode a little bit later in this episode. So, um, yeah, I've seen The Holiday and that's it. That was the only one I've seen in full on your list, Hannah. Well, uh, The Holiday is an interesting movie because Jack Black is not playing like a total off the wall, like weird character in it. He's really good in that movie. He he is. And he I mean, he's a little bit like quirky, goofy, but like he's mostly playing like, you know, kind of like a straight man. And it's it's funny to me. Is yeah. that like, the one with Queen he's like a love was? interest. No, that's the last no. holiday. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I've never seen this movie. Then. This I don't, is Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet. Jack yeah. Oh. And uh, Jude Law. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like all of those people. Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz switch houses for like the holiday season because they're both fed up with their lives. So Kate Winslet ends up going to California to live in Cameron Diaz's house and Cameron Diaz goes to England to live in Kate Winslet's adorable English cottage and they end up meeting men while they're there. And they fall in the well. Gosh, don't spoil it, Bean. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're right. Um, yeah, and Jack Black plays a composer. Is that right? Am I right about that? Yeah, he does something with film a music. Film composer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. And there's a great scene in a blockbuster. Uh, yes, that's how I knew you love that is. scene. That's my favorite Aww. scene. I actually don't like that movie except that one scene. It's a, it's a fun scene. Actually, he reminded me very much of you when yeah. I was watching. I was like that. That sounds like a game MJ would want to play in a blockbuster. Yeah, it's also like one or two steps between me and Jack Black. Like, I mean, for real. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take <laughs> a lot to get from MJ to Jack Black. So <laughs> you should be Jack Black for Halloween. I feel like that's very on the nose. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. very easy to do. It would be. It would be. Uh, Bean, what have you been watching? Um, oh, okay. and listeners, uh, we will we will probably call Alicia uh, Bean. That is the name we uh refer to her as so i know i introduced you as alicia but it's probably going to be bean from here on out yeah that's fair it was really getting weird when you were calling me alicia i was like what's happening 
<laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm actually really glad that the timing of this podcast happened when it did because so I'm not like I'm not a classic movie buff. I'm probably I'm really not a movie buff at all, but I enjoy movies. However, I tend to go in and out of like being in the mood to watch movies. I really like television. Mm-hmm. So I watch a lot of TV shows. But this last week, I was like in a super big movie mood. Like I wanted to watch movies every day. So I've actually, I had never seen the movie Independence Day. Yeah. And so, I know. <laughs> so my- I haven't either. Really? Oh, you should. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. So it was my anniversary on Saturday. And um, my husband and I, I, like, got rid of our three kids for the weekend and just got to do whatever we wanted. And so what we wanted to do with our time was just to sit on the couch and watch Netflix because we can't usually do that. So it was super awesome. And we decided to watch Independence Day since I'd never seen it. And it was so good. Like, I really enjoyed it. I was like, where has my life gone wrong that I've not seen this movie before? Because it's so good. Is that the one with Will Smith? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I haven't so seen that. Is that the one with really... the aliens? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's not Men in Black. Right. <laughs> His other alien movie. They it was like so Cowboys and the Aliens? No. <laughs> no, that was Cowboys and Aliens was the name of that oh, movie. Oh, right. And Which was also Cow- good. Will Smith. Is that also Will Smith, though? No, it's uh, Daniel Craig, the guy who plays James Bond. Oh. I don't know why I was picturing... Yeah, Oh, well, I know why I was picturing Will Smith and aliens. Cause but uh, Wild Wild West is what you're thinking of with him as a cowboy. Yes. Yeah. That's and he that. fights a giant steampunk spider in that movie. Okay, so basically an alien. Yeah. <laughs> sort of the same. Have uh, we ever considered yeah. the fact that Will Smith might actually be an alien? It's just propaganda that he's perpetuating to get accepted right. into our society. I have not thought about that, but now it's all I can think about. <laughs> Never see another movie with him ever the same way again. <laughs> um, yeah, so I watched I watched Independence Day, and we also watched another movie, and now I am not, I can't even remember what it was, which sort of suggests that maybe it was horrible, but I, and so now I kind of wish I could remember what it was so that I could bash it a little bit, but. Okay, I haven't really watched anything. My wife's been sick, so she has been dominating the couch. Um, That's what you do. Yep. So just bits and pieces of a lot of episodes of Friends. A lot of episodes of Friends. Uh, I love she's, it. she's like, she, I, she might all, almost be six seasons in, I think. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So good. Yeah. It's just, it's just been a Friends loop uh, here. But uh, our anniversary was last Sunday. And Woo! we went Yay! to Universal Studios. That's right. That looked, that looked like I was seeing pictures. Yeah, it was really good. I hadn't been to Universal for uh, 24 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, wow. I'd been to the one in Orlando, but it was terrible. And I, I was going to say, are they super different? They are. So the one in Orlando, it's a really small park. And we had fast passes so that were good all day. So we did the whole park twice in four hours. And they, the one in Orlando is set up kind of like Disneyland, where they have Disneyland and California Adventure. They have Universal and Islands of Adventure, and Islands of Adventure is where all the cool stuff is. But we didn't have tickets for Islands of Adventure, so we couldn't go over there. Um, Islands of Adventure is where Harry Potter World is in Orlando. Um, So the one here in Hollywood is 
better because it's kind of a combination of both of them because they only have the property to do the one Universal Studios park. Um, so they opened Harry Potter, Wizard, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, I think is what the official title of it is. Um, yes. And it is sweet. Uh, it's really good. It's the uh. most immersive thing in the whole park. Um, they're not quite as detail-oriented as Disneyland is, but the trade-off is the atmosphere is a lot more kickback at the mm -hmm. park. Uh, you don't feel the pressure. It's a small enough park to where you can feel like you can do everything in, in the time you have there, and you don't feel like you have to rush from ride to ride to ride. So mm -hmm. you're able to walk around and enjoy it a little bit more. And most of their rides are these kind of simulations rather than full-blown uh, roller coaster stuff. So they give you 3D goggles and they bring you into a giant uh, dome screen and stuff happens around you. Or there's like stunt shows and special effects shows, but it's all kind of based around Universal Studios properties, which right. as you're going through, you realize they've made some of your favorite movies. Um, <laughs> and uh, they... They have Jurassic Park the ride, which is great. Uh, mm -hmm. I got soaked on that. Um, they have a Simpsons ride, which I'm I grew up a diehard Simpsons fan, and so I was so into that uh, little area that they designed as Springfield. Um, the, the the areas that they've themed are really good. Mm -hmm. And then they also do a studio tour where they actually put you on a tram and take you through the back lot of. Mm -hmm. The Universal Studios. Um, and so you get to see a bunch of movie sets and um, what they're working on. And, you know, if there's filming in progress, there's a red light on the building and they have to go off mic and actually can't talk while they're filming um, because the, the mics are so sensitive that, on the inside that they would have to, uh, uh, they would pick up the mics from the studio tour guides. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of take you through uh, and show you props and stuff. They have like a bunch of vehicles from all the, uh, uh, a whole bunch of universal properties, like all the Fast and Furious vehicles were there. The Jurassic Park vehicles were there. The gyroscopes from Jurassic World were there. Um, it's just a lot of cool, like film stuff. Mm -hmm. And they have like this spiel memorized of, you know, here's the history of this area and here's what they filmed here and all this stuff. Uh, our guy got some Jaws facts wrong, which almost caused me to stage a mutiny because Jaws is my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, so that was right to the shallows. No, I, I, uh, I almost did like I I was like, can is this an emergency? <laughs> oh, my God can I pull the emergency thing and make them stop the tram so I can You're be like, this, this is my job now. Um, you probably you could have given that, that to her. I, I, I probably could have. And that's, that's actually where this story is leading. Um, so we got the Jaws facts wrong and then immediately followed up by getting uh, the, guy, the, the director of the first Hulk movie wrong. Um, so it was like two strikes and you're out with this guy. Oh no. Yeah. I was like, nope. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So we we got off the tour and Kristen was like, I feel like you would be really good at that. And I was like, accurate. I think I would be really good at that. So Monday after we got back, I was like, how to become a studio tour guide. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. That is awesome. You would totally rock that job. That would be awesome. It's just sitting in a thing all day and talking to people about movie history. That's like my dream um, job. Yeah, no fun. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I bet it 
pays peanuts. Oh, I'm sure. Potentially literally, but it would be fun. (laughs) That'd be weird. Here's your stipend of peanuts for the day. (laughs) Um, But you got to buy your own water. Yes. (laughs) That's that's the trick. That's how they get you. But apparently it's like a huge audition process. Um, Really? Like you can't, they just don't put openings online and you apply for it. You have to go audition. And they hold auditions at spring break and at summer break. Wow. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of regarded as one of the toughest auditions in Hollywood. Then how did this guy get through? Yeah. I know, right? What the heck? Like, I I really want to know where he got his misinformation. Like, did Because I'm sure they provide, like, a script of some kind. I think he forgot his script. Like, he he forgot what the script says at that point and then tried to remember and then didn't remember properly oh no yep yeah that would come so much easier for you you just wouldn't need a script exactly yeah yeah that's the thing is i'd be that guy you know how like some disneyland people are like a little too into working at disneyland (laughs) yeah i love those people (laughs) those are the best i would be one of those people i would be the guy who's a little too into working at universal studios oh my goodness But those people make for the best experiences for the guests, I think. Because, like, if you're coming, like, you you want to be fully immersed. Like, Mm -hmm. why on earth would you spend that money to go and just be like, this is lame? You know, like, you're you're in it to to do it. So, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, our guy was personable, but yeah, he just it was he just said that one little hiccup on our thing. Unfortunately, it happened across my favorite movie of all time. So I was very judgmental about it. Yeah, (laughs) you should have talked to him afterward. Yeah, I'll be like, I'll see you in the got park later. Yeah, I got a fist fight. I have some uh, corrections for you. <laughs> I, I have some words. <laughs> yeah, I just, because uh, I, I I couldn't look at Kristen, I, but I felt her. Like, yeah. I, I felt her movement to look at me while I was having my breakdown. <laughs> you should... You should be proud of your wife that she has been educated so much about that movie that that she knew it was wrong too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I may, I'm the one who made her see it three times at the theater <laughs> in one year. Oh so. my gosh, <laughs> that is hilarious. That's hilarious. Okay, uh, we're gonna move on, and you are actually going to hear myself and uh, Corey Tyndall, Hannah's lovely husband, and I talking about the first episode of Stranger Things. And the sound design of the show and sound design in general. And yeah, we will be right back to talk about that. And then uh, the three of us will be back to talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them after this. I'm here once again with Corey Tyndall. Welcome, sir. Hello, everybody. And we're here to, uh, and we're here with another installment of the Before and After Show Film School. And Corey is going to be talking about sound design, especially yes. in the first episode of Stranger Things on Netflix. So mm-hmm. if you've seen at least the first episode of Stranger Things or rewatched it for the fourth time. 
Um, yep. Because you've probably seen it more than once at this point. So Because it's amazing. Because it's pretty great. Like we talked about last time, um, as you guys heard, uh, we went through the whole like ins and outs of sound design and just like a couple quick, uh, I'm not going to go over everything, but a couple quick refreshers. Um, the three elements that kind of make up sound design as a whole are the human voice, sound effects, and music. I chose Stranger Things because, one, we all love Stranger Things because it's amazing, and gosh, it's just, I don't even know how they did it. It's just, so it's incredible. So I was like, another reason to watch it, of course. But the second reason, along with so many of these other aspects of Stranger Things that's amazing, like the filmmaking and, gosh, just like the acting and just everything, like the story... Um, it has really brilliant sound design. Like, mm-hmm. it was a joy for me to sit down and watch an episode and, like, look specifically for sound design and, like, listen for it. And it's crazy. It's so well done. So. I had to <laughs> stop taking notes because this would be a two-hour film school. Yep. If yep. I did. <laughs> I had a full page just on, like, the first episode and, like, about... I don't know, after the first 20 minutes, I kind of had to be, like, a little bit more, like, reserved in how much I put down because I'm like, yeah. man, I we could be on here forever. And this is only the first episode. There's so many other episodes in the series that, like, does a whole bunch of crazy things that are, like, very, like, iconic that come to mind. But I was like, well, just one. Just one. We won't do the whole series right. of Stranger Things. But, yeah, so... <clears throat> That's kind of the background, and so now we can talk about it. Um, so just MJ, just straight out the gate, what what was your overall experience doing this? So like, how, how did it feel? Right out of the gate, you have a completely wordless opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's totally, it's not totally silent, but it's totally dialogue-free. You just see yep. these laboratory doors First open um, with a loud crack and then heavy breathing and footsteps, um, which conveys that the character is scared as well as the visual aspect of it that shows you that he's scared. But even if you were to close your eyes, you could be like, oh, that person doesn't sound okay. Yep. And then you hear him get to an elevator and he starts smashing a button like really fast. So there's a sense of urgency that's conveyed there. Um, Yes. And then... uh, there's kind of the noise that the the creature makes right before it, it eats him. Mm-hmm. That's very reminiscent of sort of the raptor noise from the... It's it's basically an <laughs> underground lab version of the opening scene from Jurassic Park. Like, yes. Almost yeah. as, as shot for shot as it could be without being a total ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Um, one of my favorite things about that is the, the way the scene ends is you see the guy get taken away and then it smash cuts to a quiet suburban street and you see a sprinkler going. Yes. But the way, like, that doesn't sound like a normal sprinkler. It sounds kind of like a helicopter, too. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so genius of, like, you convey what's happening back at the lab. Like, they have emergency chopper people coming in, but then you also catch up with this quiet suburban street where they just had their sprinklers going and it like, it connects those two universes that you would can consider, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum through 
the sound design. Yes. Oh man, it yeah, like you you nailed everything. I basically have like and we'll probably go like I kind of have like the main beats through this first episode mm-hmm. and we can kind of just talk through them. But yeah, like everything you said right there, um I picked up on like, you know, you know, you can tell he's out of breath, he's running away from something, the noise of the creature, like um the noise from the lights, you know, which is going to mm-hmm. be a continual thing throughout the series. Yeah, sort of like um, that fluorescent hum. Yeah, yeah. Um the you know, when he's going and the elevator doors are like, you know, you hear them like kind of whoosh apart. Um, man, just really good sound design. And it's like I mentioned last time, sometimes you can watch movies or film and you you like, you know, the stuff is happening, but there's not that much attention to detail or those things are like mixed down. And again, like these sound effects, the stuff that is part of like the scene that's going on. Those are called like synchronous sound effects. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're mixed up and they like serve a purpose, like the sprinkler to like transition the scene, you know, it's like, ah, it's just, it's done so well. Um, so moving from that scene, uh, is like we get the first spoken dialogue is like the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. And, as they start to <clears throat> as they start to play, we get like the first kind of like inkling of like some synth and like the theme, mm-hmm. like kind of setting the mood music. And um, it's it's kind of like when you think of, you know, I've watched Stranger Things like a couple times. This is the third time I've seen this episode. It can be really easy to be like, oh, all the synth music kind of like blends together. You know, it's like, oh, there's yeah. that synth again. Or, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, man, 80s synth. But I was listening very carefully, and there there are different themes within the, the synth patches. And so there's specific themes like when they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or when they're down in the basement, like formulating plans. Like whenever... Um, there's a scene like where they're planning something or like later when they have L and like she shows them something on the the game board. There's always a specific synth scene uh, mm. like music that comes up. It's mm. very much kind of like this take action like we're going to go do something. But then there's also in this scene we got like Will's kind of theme. Like there's a there's a theme that's associated with him that like in this episode I listened for it specifically, whenever there would kind of be mentions of him or people doing things like, they would quietly start to bleed that theme into mm. the background and it was it was like very subtle but just enough so you could pick up on it and, ah man it's just it's so well done so it's like we get some of that as they're playing the game. Of course, there's all the foreshadowing and like, you know, the the talk and them playing uh that round of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. They're leaving on a couple things. One, everything feels very tactile. Like it feels mm-hmm. you can yes. hear the dice kind of yep. clinking around on the on the on the uh table. You can feel it when he throws the minis down on onto the tabletop. It feels like it feels like you're in there. And then they do this overlapping dialogue thing where, uh, you know, the kids kind of start talking over each other, um, which is fairly recent development. Very loose 
<laughs> use of the word fairly uh um, or recent, very, very, very loose definition of the word recent, but it's kind of a recent development in filmmaking where you have characters who are talking over each other and like kind of letting the pattern of the conversation feel like that. That is kind of yeah. how normal conversation feels. But if you look at a lot of, you know, early talkie movies, you'll notice that it's like, say a line of dialogue, pause, say a yep. line of dialogue, pause, say a line of dialogue as it bounces from character to character. And there's a movie called his girl Friday. That was one of the first to feature that kind of overlapping dialogue. But what's so brilliant about this is that the Duffer brothers, what they do is they open up, they, they shoot a lot of wide lenses cause they have a lot of main characters. Mm-hmm. And so they get them all in the frame at run at once rather than going like, rather than close up of Dustin, close up of will close up of Mike, close up of, yeah, <laughs> the black kid i don't remember lucas. The black kid. Close up of lucas um and and having to edit all that together to give the feeling of that they just made the kids do that like the kids had to learn how to talk over each other and like keep their lines straight um yeah you'll notice that seth rogan and kind of his crew of people they edit their movies to feel that way, but they're not. They're taking separate lines of dialogue and then running them together in the edit. And so it's, uh, you can really tell once you know know that. So it's, this one is much more organic. It's natural. They were doing mm-hmm. it in the room. They were doing it on the day. Um, so they had no other choice. And yeah. I really like that touch of like, it's just a little chaotic because they're kids and kids' brains just are always going because they're, constantly learning stuff Um, they're constantly trying to process new information and so they're just like going like this especially as middle school kids who are just on the cusp of teenagerdom and all the new new things that are going on with their body and it's like well i just got done with this the kid one like now what's going on um yeah i think it captures that like having that overlapping dialogue captures that feeling very well Mm -hmm. man is Oh, the series, it's so good. Uh, we seriously could spend so long on this. Um, so just like, <laughs> I don't even know, just moving along. So like from that scene, they go outside and they start to go home. You get the bleed in of that synth music I was talking about. The synth theme that is associated with Will, he's riding home. You get more of the tactile sound effects like you were talking about. Like they get on their bikes, you hear those mm-hmm. lights turn on. So good. You hear the, you hear the tires, the turn of the tires. It's so like the chain uh, clinking along. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Um, so uh, that then as they're riding, you know, it's like Will's theme. You kind of hear it, and then they, they kind of pull it back, and then we just get some some kind of ambient mood music, and then that's when he encounters the monster for the first time, and you know he falls off his bike, and we're still getting a lot of the good tactile like. You know, we hear his wheel spinning, you know, after he runs away from his bike and they use the spinning of the wheel to transition the scene. That, again, is one of those synchronous sound effects. Um, You know, he runs back to his house and he goes through and like, again, it's just like they, they just do a really good job of like the sound effects aren't. I don't feel like they're beating you over the head with them, but yeah. it just really makes the world tactile. He runs into his house. He goes to pick up the phone. You hear it. You hear the clicking of like the rotary phone. Like it's just, it makes you like feel like, okay, yeah, these are real things. He's in a real place. 
And then he runs out into his shed. And then, you know, we hear him load the gun. We hear him take out the individual shells. You know, like, we hear all that stuff. And then we hear the sound effects of the monster. And then, again, kind of like, you know, again, the callback to already at the beginning of the show, we hear the fluorescent, like, you know, 60 Mm -hmm. hertz hum of the light bulb just as the monster is about to show up. Man, it's super well done. So yeah, so um there's there's a couple scenes like after that but just throughout this whole episode and throughout the whole show um I just made a note there's a lot of good diegetic music from radios. Yeah, and TVs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of like like Hopper wakes up and there's something on TV or like, you know, throughout the throughout the whole series there'll be stuff like playing on the radio and sometimes it bleeds into the background and it becomes like you know it goes from non-diet it, it goes from diegetic to non-diegetic or vice versa sometimes yeah and they just do a really good job with that so from that scene i'll let you take the next one yeah MJ. um that's uh, when is that when winona Ryder discovers that will's missing uh or pretty close to it pretty close i it's, have uh, i think it's right before uh hopper wakes up but i wanted to touch on that one because she ends up calling the buyer no not she is the buyers she ends up calling um mike's family i don't remember last yes um but she ends up calling mike's mom and being like hey did will stay the night um and there's a little uh auditory and visual callback to et in that scene because the matriarch takes a phone call while there's a very chaotic breakfast scene happening behind her. Um, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what happens the next day uh, after the first night E.T. shows up in E.T. And then we also, uh, after that breakfast, we get to see Hopper eat his breakfast, which is at the station, um, which is a visual and auditory callback to Jaws when Brody first gets to the office and he hears about the shark attack. Hopper gets there and he from his secretary. Hopper gets there and hears about the buyer's kid is missing from his secretary. And yep. he goes and sits down and you see the police report typing up like missing in the same yep. way that Jaws it types in shark attack. Uh, yeah. Right after Brody learns that information in Jaws, right after Hopper learns this information, he types up the police report with those words on it. With the, you know, the words that will be the driving force for the rest of the series or movie um, yep. in that case. Like it's all very, very intentional like that. Yes. And man, again, great visual storytelling. That's like aided with sound effects, like that typewriter, you know, mm-hmm. oh, man, it's, it's so good. I think right before that phone call, and like we see them wake up there, it does cut back to a scene of like the scientists checking out the alien stuff oh, yeah. in the lab. And again, you know, it's just it's all really great stuff. You just hear a lot of the the alien sound effects of like the substance and like the portal, and we see the lights flickering again and hear all those great things. And yeah, it's just really good. I mean, like they they keep a lot of that consistency. And so like once you get into the later episodes in the series, like a lot. They even use the sound effects in a way to kind of be like foreshadowing for a lot of things. And it's just it's just really, you know, well done, man. Um, I have after that, we get the scene. Um, there's a scene like after 
uh, Winona Ryder realizes Will's gone and they kind of start to look for him. She's talked to Hopper. Uh, there's like that kind of flashback where she's in like the fort and she's mm-hmm. talking to him. And, and then, of course, you know, the references made to all the, you know, famous horror movies in that scene. Um, like Poltergeist, uh, Poltergeist uh, It. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The main part I wanted to touch on was like at the end, we see her framed like, you know, in, you know, the the flag or the blanket part of mm-hmm. the fort blowing in. And we kind of see her in the background of that. And so we're, we're hearing the tactileness of like there's wind blowing and we hear it. And then it immediately, you know, quick cut to uh, Benny's grill and he throws mm-hmm. down a hamburger patty. Mm-hmm. And you get that very, you know, the visual and the auditory just, you know, of yeah. the patty on the grill. And again, where it's just like superb sound design in some of those like scene transitions, just using those synchronous sound effects to just to like move along a scene. Um, man, so, so good. Um, I have after that, like we get a little bit. <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me after that we get a little bit of synth um Mm. that starts up when hopper and his like deputies find the bike when they find will's bike you get a little bit of that synth that starts to come back in and it's not it's not the iconic main theme but it's the the theme that is kind of associated with will and especially throughout this whole episode like i mentioned i think i like i mentioned last time how there can even be you know themes that like call back to a certain character even when they're not on screen Mm -hmm. and so this is like a really good example throughout this whole episode the key moments where we start to hear any of that synth bleed in it's some scene involving like will like his presence is felt even though he's obviously not on screen and it's just it's another really great way to supplement what's already happening we know they're looking for will we know like you know they find his bike we know he's not there, but again, it's just like it's another thing that just comes alongside and just, you know, reminds us. Yeah. Ah, and it's and so well done. That scene also, that's actually the last note I have is about that. Um, is you see him walk up and he has this pill bottle and you hear him fiddle with the cap, pour the pills in his hand, pop the pills with no water and then close the pill bottle back up and throw it into his pocket. And it's just like. You didn't really need to hear that, but it supplements the the information. Like it makes sense after later when they they have the whole town looking for them, and you find out that his daughter died a few years ago, and because mm-hmm. he he doesn't have any discernible health problems. We've seen him smoke. We know he's hungover. We see him just yeah. kind of have a donut or two for breakfast. So we know he doesn't like take care of himself, but also he seems like he's in decent physical shape still. And, you know, yeah. he's still pretty fairly active as a police officer. And so he doesn't really have the, the anything wrong with him that would necessitate those pills outside of an addiction problem. And so yeah. it just kind of like drives that point home. And then they justify it later of like, Oh, well he suffered tragedy. So he is just kind of trying to take the pain away any way that he can. Um, yeah. but it's, it's, it's all that set up to that. You know, we don't know. We're just like, what's this alcoholic smoker? Yeah, like, <laughs> sheriff going to do. Yeah. You're kind of like when you first meet him, you're like, he's kind of a jerk and he just seems flippant. And then yeah. like, yeah, you get more of that development and you get to, and so it's just like those things are just very nice touches. Like, yeah. you know, also, they're flourishing. 
he rules like he's he might be the best actor in the whole series yeah he's really good he's really good uh i love i love in this episode earlier when he's just like like whoever the secretary is it's like mornings are for coffee and contemplation yeah (laughs) coffee and contemplation oh man um he's so good so from there i have i have a couple more notes we get um he goes um so they find the bike that moves us to a scene where he goes to the buyer's house and he's kind of like reverse engineering like what would have like where would he have gone you know like did he come into the house and again we get that light synth with kind of Will's theme faded in as he is looking through the buyer's house and you know he's like looking at the stuff um, and it's also, it, it's like, it starts as Will's kind of theme and then it pulls back into like this mood music, kind of like ambient, like we're kind of drifting music. Yeah. And then it ends with, you know, him looking around with the light and stuff. And then we get the light bulb transition scene, you know, where it's like, we mm-hmm. hear the 60 Hertz hum and then it's just, eh, and you know, it just happens to be his deputy who came in and talked to him again. This, those really great sound effect transitions. Um, and after, that's actually my oh, last note. Is oh, okay. the creaking door when his deputy opens it sounds very similar to the monster. So we, yeah, one of the running sound design themes in the show is pretty mundane, pretty mundane uh, objects that they use for dual purposes. One to signify the deputy is coming in, but one to signify that the monsters are around. Um, yeah, you know they 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 intentionally play with the sound of it to get it similar to that other thing, so it it triggers this kind of callback in your brain, uh, but subconsciously, like that's probably the weirdest thing about visual and audio storytelling is it lays all this groundwork, and you're often if it's doing its job, or unless you're going out of your way to study it, you're often unaware of all of that. Yeah, I mean it can. It can be done in a way sometimes where it's like you're expecting one thing and then it can like subvert your expectations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, man, this is so good. It really is, man. It's, oh gosh. Go watch it if you haven't. It's worth your time a couple times through. Um, Yeah, and so like all all the stuff we talked about in sound design, I mean, I know you guys listening are probably just like, I thought we were learning about sound design, but you guys have just, raved about stranger things but um i hope i hope in listening to us talk about stranger things the whole aspect of like sound design and why sound is important in films i hope some of that has come across to you so the next time maybe you go to watch you know i don't know maybe you're going to the theaters to see dr strange this weekend or some other you know maybe you're gonna go see hacksaw ridge soon um when when you're watching the movies, just try the next time you go see a film, just try to really like pay attention and maybe not pick out all these things because that's a lot, but just try to focus on maybe one or two, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe one or two things, like maybe a certain theme that like sh- you hear show up with like a character or maybe just some of these sound effect things that like help to transition scenes And just see if you can pick some of those things out and see how they add to the storytelling. Because in a good movie or a good film, um, I really believe sound can come alongside and really help to, like, supplement good storytelling. 
Yes, I agree. Ah, sweet. I I really I really enjoyed talking about sound design. It yeah, was really this is fun. Cool. Uh, well, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about the jazz singer. Uh, if you want to start your research early, um, it's the first talkie. Uh, it's also got some blackface in it. I love jazz. <laughs> 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 I'm really glad that was the thing you said you loved uh, based on the two things I said were in it. Um, yep. <laughs> Corey and I have talked about a movie that's about jazz before and it didn't go too hot. So hopefully this is a little bit better. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's the first movie that had like a soundtrack and speaking in it, like mm-hmm. audible speaking and singing. So it's a big deal. And uh, we'll be back to talk about that. In the meantime, uh, I hope this episode really makes you think about what you're listening to as you're watching um because watching is also listening um no matter what you're doing yeah uh i think that's it we'll be back in two weeks but right now we're gonna throw it to myself and uh ryan buell talking about doctor stranger things stranger things And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that discussion, actually, um, because the last time I thought I had lost the audio and it turns out that it was just hiding on my computer. So that's what you heard. And uh, we're done with that now. And we'll be moving on on the next set of uh, before and after episodes to talk about uh, talkies and the jazz singer. But right now I'm rejoined by uh, Bean and Hannah. Hello. Hello. And and we, uh, by which I mean they, are mostly going to be talking about uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is the new uh, Harry Potter universe wizarding world movie. Is Do they have a, a term like the Marvel Cinematic Universe for this yet? Do you know? I've heard uh, people calling it the Harry Potter universe. That's okay. what I've heard too. Okay, because it's not quite... Uh, I mean, it it is a little it's bit connected... Harry- to the Harry Potter story in that eventually, like it kind of looks like they're setting up a, uh, a Dumbledore subplot to potentially become the main plot over these five movies. Um, oh my gosh, don't even get me started. I oh, we're even. getting there soon. Um, and so it looks like it's a kind of setting up to become prequels, but this one doesn't really feel like a prequel proper necessarily. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. No, I yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah, it just yeah. seems like a story that's in the un- that, that that takes place in the same universe, but it happens in the 1930s New York rather than 1980s uh, England. Uh, Which I did right. not know it was in America until you said that at the beginning. Like it, maybe it was in the preview and I just missed it. But I thought, isn't I mean Eddie Redmayne is or Redmayne, however you say his name, mm-hmm. like he's English. Yeah, he's English. Yeah, Newt Scamander's character flees to America because he's wanted in England. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that's not in the book, correct? I like, mean, none no... of it's in the book. It's not a book. It's an encyclopedia of animal facts. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I'm so crazy. excited I chose you two to be on this episode. <laughs> I'm so excited. So uh, with <laughs> Harry Potter, uh, you know, it's clearly a beloved uh, franchise. It's up there with all the other fandoms of, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and those. Uh, However, 
I feel like almost more even than Star Wars fans, you diehard Harry Potter fans have been through some stuff. Um, We we have. (laughs) I don't think... It's been traumatic at times. Yeah. It has. So, <laughs> we had to stick to our guns. As 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 a casual oh. Harry Potter fan, like I said, I've read some of the books, but or I've read all of the books. What am I talking about? Um, I've read all of the books. I've seen most of the movies, um, and I like it. I think it's it's good. I like the worlds. I like the universe. Um, just this specifically, I couldn't care less about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so you guys have been through some stuff specifically with your creator that I think Star Wars fans, uh, myself, with our included, creator. Uh, <laughs> I just realized how that came out. <laughs> <laughs> with the creator of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, um, the way a lot of Star Wars fans feel that they were betrayed by George Lucas. I think a lot of that seeped over into people uh, with Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. Um, so what is it about J.K. Rowling that has has garnered all of this uh, sort of vitriol post-Harry Potter uh, book seven? I think, honestly, so my sister, who is also a really big Harry Potter fan, we j- just had this conversation. And I really think that it stems from her sort of loss of identity when the books were over. Like... like hers is sort of an like very um uncharted territory sort of for an author because she had these huge hit books and it was like she became this household name because of these seven books so it's like when that ends like who am I so she like went through this period of time where she was sort of experimenting and she came out with like these other books and I think even she wrote one under a pseudonym if I'm if I'm correct about that I think you're right yeah and so she, I feel like she was very much like, I feel like that draws an excellent parallel to the struggle she was having um, with her identity as an author and like really just as a person, like who am I w- without this series? And then I think she sort of has come to terms with the fact that like she's not selling as well as any other type of author and that her world is Harry Potter and so she's kind of trying to go back to her roots but she's also trying to do so while staying true to who she was when she said I'm done with this universe I'm not going to add to it anymore and so she's still trying to be involved in that universe without overtly like here I'm going to write another novel because never mind this is all I want to do so now she's like it's okay I'll just create Pottermore that's not a book it's okay we'll just like I'll I'll you know help these guys write this play that's not a book and so she's like going into these different venues where she doesn't excel and is using our characters um that we grew up with in love and she and we feel like she's trashing them because she she's she's misusing that canon yeah, that go ahead. Was brilliant. That was really good. Um, yep. So I want to actually jump off and ask a separate question, uh, which is more general. So does art ever become the audiences? You you refer to them as Ooh. our characters. Um, so you know, and that was that's the same feeling that the Star Wars people had when the the prequels came out, and people really didn't like the prequels. They were like, well, you're screwing up our thing. This no longer belongs to you, George Lucas. This belongs to us as the audience. It has outgrown you. Um, is that Does that happen? I have, I have thoughts on that. So, I feel like... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I feel like once you have made the decision to end something, and it 
it becomes sort of like immortalized in that in that moment. And so for me, while she was writing the series and Harry Potter and I was waiting for the next book to come out and like all of that, I felt like the characters were still hers to do with what she wanted to do with them. And I mean, I was hoping she'd stay true to the character throughout and not, you know, ruin it. But um, but once the seventh book ended for me, every time she had an interview where she said, oh, and by the way, this character is, you know, whatever, or I shouldn't have put these two characters, you know, just like she, every time she like went back and like changed something, it yes. felt to me like I was like, you know what? You had your day. Okay. You wrote the mm-hmm. characters the way that you wrote them. You don't need to come back and say, actually, I should have never had Ron and Hermione get together. That was a bad idea. Like you, you ended it. And so now yeah. as an ending, it felt like it belonged to me, the fan. And why was she mm-hmm. trying to change what she had written? So, right. so that, at that point, I feel like it almost like the ownership did, did transfer to me in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now that she's decided to revisit it, because, you know, with Star Wars, Lucas never said these are done now. He just didn't say anything either way. Whereas I remember when these books were coming out, J.K. Rowling was very adamant. Seven books. That's it. I'm done. Nothing more. Nothing less. Right. Um, you know, which I was fine with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I actually, yeah. I like, I like that too. So uh, kind of drawing that comparison even further, I guess, Lucas never said this is the end for Star Wars. It just took him 20 years mm-hmm. to make more. Um, whereas right. J.K. Rowling said there was, this is the end. Um, mm-hmm. So does that, is that applicable in both situations then? If he decides to go back and revisit, even though he never said this is the end, it just has taken me 20 more years. Is he in that, is he uh, subject to that same feeling as well? You know, like where where is the line? Is the line that she said there was an ending, or if she hadn't, if she would have just been like, "I wrote these seven books, maybe I'll come back to them," then she can she she has that ownership still. So mm. I so I don't know if I entirely agree that it's not, so. So with George Lucas, I feel like his thing his, it's almost hard to compare those two, um, because. Mm-hmm. No, I'm trying to I'm trying to gather my thoughts, but I feel I feel like if if J.K. Rowling had come out and said, um, "Just kidding, never mind," I am going to add another novel. Um, I I have to disagree with Hannah. I would have been really excited about that. I was super disappointed when she said she wasn't going to continue it because I thought there's so much material here that can be used. Like she and and I know like the general fandom it ha- pretty much has a consensus that they would love to see like a book about the Marauders and the history I about yep. their adventures mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and I think that there just is so much room in that universe for expansion that I would have really quickly forgiven her if she was like, never mind. Like I love doing this and I want to do it again and I'm going to publish more books I'd have been all over that and I really think that the majority of the fandom probably would um so I mean it is a little bit frustrating that she said she wasn't going to add and then she's kind of covertly trying to add these right that's the problem that yeah I think that's where it it derails for me go ahead Hannah yeah I I would agree with that like I don't I think that the issue that I've had with her is that it felt to me a little bit like she finished the series and then she decided to like make blanket statements that were destroying what I thought that she'd already written. I agree. So 
if she had come back and was like, you know what, I think I am going to write some prequel series about, especially about the Marauders, and I would love to see that and the rise of Voldemort's power. Like, that would be really interesting mm-hmm. to me, kind of like leading into Harry Potter's story. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of my favorite books is the sixth book, which is where you get all of the Voldemort backstory. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting, and I would really like to read that. But she didn't do that. She just was like, Oh, it just, it felt like everything that she said in any interview was just a publicity stunt. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, totally you know, like, oh, I, I shouldn't have gotten Ron and Hermione together. That was a bad decision. Or actually Dumbledore's gay and I intended that in the writing all along. Like whether, like, whether or not you have feelings about either of those things, it annoyed me because there wasn't explicit writing in the books to support that claim she was just picking very safe things that she could say i don't know it just to kind of get it people talking me about she harry never, potter again right that's what it felt like to me yeah hey remember and i, I just, agree yeah mm-hmm. and that's i'm still here yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so so in, go ahead so in that same way i felt i feel a little bit i had felt a little bit similar about fan, when i heard first about fantastic beasts coming out Mm-hmm. That I was like, what the heck is wrong with you? I think my opinion has changed a little bit since since seeing some of the previews and, and things. I know we're going to talk about that. But right. I felt the same way, especially because, like I said at the beginning of this, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is not a book. It's not a story. It is an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. It's a textbook that she, she right. wrote as a charity um, piece. So all of the proceeds that went from that book and the little piece that she wrote called Quidditch for the Ages went toward mm-hmm. a charity. Like she didn't make any money off of them. So um, when I found out that it was going to be made into a movie, it felt again like another publicity money-making stunt, which also felt like extremely a slap in the face because the actual little book, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, was written for charity. So now it mm-hmm. felt like she was capitalizing on something that she had originally written for charity. I feel like my opinion has changed a little bit since then, but so to yeah. so to really? transfer into the uh, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them specifically conversation, if I'm getting my facts straight, you can't just go buy a copy of this the way you can like a Tales of Beetle the Bard, right? It's not she wrote it specifically. What's that? You can you can buy it. It's just all the proceeds like. All the money you're spending is going to that charity. Okay, I thought you meant she wrote yeah. it and then they auctioned it off as like, hey, she wrote this for charity. You no, know? I have it. Okay. Yeah, okay. I have it as well. Got it. Okay, so she writes this book that's an encyclopedia of different magical creatures throughout the Harry Potter universe. And yeah, it's cute. It's, it's And it's written from the perspective of Newt Scaramander? No. No. It is literally... An encyclopedia starting like if if you know if an aardvark was a magical creature a for aardvark and it would have a couple pages all about that magical creature and the history of it and how it was discovered and and all of that and it's it's actually it's written to kind of be like it's a maybe a textbook that Harry Ron Hermione would be using because there's actually little like notes written in the margins like Harry and like passing notes in class and they're like writing them in the book. Okay, which so was the best example, part about that book. So, for example, there are some pages about the Acromantula, which is a giant spider in Harry mm-hmm. Potter. And Ron, like, writes a little, like, note by it because it says something like, oh, you know, they're not native to England. And he's like, ha! Yeah, there are <laughs> <colonies>. Goodness. Got <laughs> it. Yeah. So, so it's funny. So is it, 
So at, at no point is it supposed to be this Newt Scaramander guy. Is he someone that was made up for the movie or is he Newt, referenced in the book? Newt Scamander is the author of the book. Okay. So, so he, it's like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by, by Newt Scamander. Okay. Because okay. it's a textbook. Okay. Like, so she decided to take that textbook and turn this into a three film franchise, which then transformed into a five film franchise that potentially may betray its own premise and become about the early days of Dumbledore and uh, Grindelwald. Right? Is that his name? Yes. Okay. So, okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about reaching, though, right? Yeah. Like, Why? So Why, yeah. though? Fine. Yeah. I feel like there's so much other mythology you could draw from so much, yeah. not just, not just because the fans are clamoring for it, but it just sounds so much easier to write, write about Voldemort and his rise to power or the yes. Marauders. Like this, this is a very abstracted idea that she's going with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I, do you think it's going to pay off? Okay. So when I first, like when I first heard that it was, coming out i was i was ticked i was like i am not seeing that movie and then mj said i could be on the podcast and i was like well maybe i'll see <laughs> it like, so i can, never mind. <laughs> so I can <laughs> yell stories are so similar <laughs> but i was pretty ticked off because again it, it felt like i was like this isn't even a book like this isn't a story this is a cute little encyclopedia and you learn more about creatures and animals and all of that and so i just felt like yeah reaching reaching a lot um and that, from what I understand, the plot of the movie is Newt Scamander, the the person, is like an animal breeder hunter, not hunter, but like he's fast, kind of like Hagrid. He's fascinated with with animals, and he is wanted in England for pro- either illegal breeding or just illegal possession of magical creatures. Because you're not supposed to do that. So he flees to America. And I think what she was she's trying to do with that is actually expand the universe to the United States, which a lot of fans have been clamoring for. Um, and she just happened to use the avenue of this character, Newt Scamander. And I think the reason she did that is because it is safer to do that then potentially write books about the Marauders because we already know who those characters are. We already have an affinity for them. They have been written. Like, we know Lupin. We know Sirius. We know James up to a point. You know, like, so to to write that would be a lot more complicated because she would have to be very, very true to some characters again and take a lot more time than it would be to completely write something completely different about someone who we only know in name only. He's not even a character. He is an author on a book. Sure, there's no expectation so, with the character. There are no expectations. So but, she's trying to expand a universe yeah. um, through this character. But it seems like she's trying to bring it back to Dumbledore, who we do know and love. Right. right. I feel like he's a yeah, pretty I easy don't... character, though, in terms of like expand, like expanding his story. Because we know enough. Like I don't know. He's pretty solid. Like Because we know enough about his history. We know enough about his future. And so it, he's a little bit easier to kind of sink your teeth into if you're right. writing more for him sure do we so, know if the um i'm blanking on his name now the actor that plays dumbledore in the third through the end of the michael series, gambin he, there he is is he playing 
Dumbledore because I mean he's older um, and this would be very young Dumbledore. No, they uh, as far as I know, Dumbledore and Grindelwald are not super huge parts of this one, but they but in are the, in the subsequent films. Right, they're casting. I think they're casting Dumbledore right now for the, okay. for the scene. Right. So he won't be reprising his role now. Um, that might be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so, so well. being what. <laughs> Bean, what was your initial reaction to a Fantastic Beasts movie existing? Oh, I, I'm I, I'm totally on par with Hannah. Like, I was so frustrated because I just, I mean, we'd already, like you were saying, like the whole fandom had been smacked over the head with this Cursed Child book and like play and like, and I, even when that first came out and was released, it was released like in London. So it was completely inaccessible to any fans anywhere. And we were like, what is even happening in the Harry Potter universe? Like, why are you completely like isolating us from these characters? Like, why are you adding to it in the first place? And then why are you taking it away from everybody? Like, it was just so weird. So we were already reeling from that. And then I just... I think I saw the preview in a theater and the music started and I was like, what is happening? And then after the preview, I was like, why are they doing this? Why are they cheap? Why are they cheapening this brand? It makes no sense. You had something that was pure gold. And it's like every time they like shoot off a new element to this story, Mm -hmm. it just gets cheaper and cheaper. And I'm really afraid that by the time like my kids are old enough to appreciate it, when I say like, we're going to read Harry Potter, that's not going to mean the same thing to them because it's going to be like, oh, yeah, Harry Potter, that thing that is like a million things. So it's frustrating to me because I just feel like it's just becoming so commonplace. I just feel like they're capitalizing on this leftover fandom. And like back to your question about whether or not you think it's going to pay off. I do. And I'm frustrated because I think these movies are going to make a lot of money because Mm -hmm. I think that fans are going to be like, sweet, more Harry Potter, because that's what we want. Yeah. But and so we're going to go see it. But it just drives me crazy, especially like I could not even wrap my mind around the fact that they're making this into five movies. Oh and gosh. but the thing is, is I think that they're going to make money. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think this first one, probably you're right. I think it'll depend on how good this first one is. Um, I honestly don't see five movies happening. <laughs> um, I can't yeah. in any way. I mean, if you if you look at the way this usually pays off for their creators, uh, for creators of stuff like this who take long breaks and go back and revisit them. Um, George Lucas, that one's a little bit uh, different. The the Star Wars prequels did make increasing amounts of money, but Peter Jackson, when he went back and did the Hobbit trilogies, each and because there was so much hate from the fans that he was doing that, each movie made less and less than the last one. That's not surprising. Mm. Yeah, no, they're terrible movies. I think this is going to be better than the Hobbit movies, but I do think that people are going to get tired of it, especially with five of them coming down the line. Like, I don't know a single person who's on board with five of these movies. Yeah, I don't know either. Because, and, and like, I don't know. It's along the same it's along the same vein of like uh, there being so many superhero movies, except for it's a little bit different because with a superhero movie and like we saw this with Doctor Strange, you can do something that's vastly different mm-hmm. than your predecessors. But like with this, I feel like they're very pigeonholed into this very specific genre. Yeah. So I'm like, there's not enough variety to make five movies. It's just going to be the same stuff over and over and over. I just don't know what they're going to possibly do, do to make it stand out. 
that the difference between that and, and superhero movie and this is superhero movies have now become a genre of film. Like, that you've got, like, comedy, horror, romantic, superhero. Like, that's how yeah, it feels to me. True. Like, there, you can do, but you can do different characters and, like, totally different things, but it's, it's like, it has that kind of that superhero feel to it. I haven't seen Doctor Strange. I heard it was a lot different. But, um, uh, with Harry Potter, yeah, it's kind of like you are, you pigeon, Harry Potter is not a genre of movie. It is, it is a, a fantastic, a fantasy movie. Yeah, in it's a, a, in a it's a world. it's a franchise in the in the fantasy genre within the fantasy genre, right? Yeah, yeah. But I feel like and superhero movies have have elevated to a genre in themselves. And actually, so I will say, probably realistically, Harry Potter at its core is not actually a fantasy series, but is actually a mystery series, which is why. Right. It is so successful, which is also why The Cursed Child did not do as well, because it mm. did not, it didn't incorporate the elements of mystery the way that Ha-ha! the original books do. Point so if, I, if by some <laughs> miracle, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them do that, and they return to the heart of the genre, which really is mystery, it could be successful. But I feel like if, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they will do that. I don't think they're nuanced enough to do it. I haven't gotten a, mis- a mystery element from any of the trailers that I've watched. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, yeah. in fact, okay, so here, here, well, I don't know if you had another question, MJ, but. I, I do, but it's, we can, we can keep talking about this. That's fine. The arc, the emotional arc or roller coaster, actually, that I have experienced with the Fantastic Beast news had gone, has gone something like this. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is being made into a movie. What the heck? That is a money grab. I am angry. I will never see it. And then I actually saw a trailer for it because I was mad. Like, I didn't want to watch any trailers. And then I saw a trailer for it in the theater, like, recently. I think it was in July because it was right before Corey and I moved. And we went up to visit his family and we went to go see the BFG and there was a trailer for Fantastic Beasts before it. But not only was it just a trailer, it was also a little like talking head with J.K. Rowling mm. um, sharing her heart behind the movie and just um, how she was excited to expand the universe to the States and, and really that the movie is kind of about Newt Scamander and... Uh, kind of like him being an advocate, but he's also sort of become like this marginalized person. And I can't remember everything that she said, but it sounded to me like uh, the, the passion behind it was a lot more interesting than I thought. And so I got kind of excited, which made me actually finally go to Pottermore because I'd been a little irritated about that too. And I got, I got sorted into my Pottermore house. And then I decided it'd be fun to get sorted into my American house and I did that, and she has a ton of backstory about yeah. all of the American um, wizard lore, and it was really interesting to me. And I was like, okay, why don't you just write some books about this? So I kind of feel like maybe that is what she's trying to do with Fantastic Beasts, is introduce some of this American wizard lore. I'm not sure she's doing it well in this Yeah, in she this wrote the way. script um so we'll see how that goes she wrote the script yeah for the movie yeah okay here's the thing that actually makes me sort of hopeful here's why because part of the problem with the cursed child was that it wasn't written by her and so and at the risk of seeming sexist um it was written by two men 
And I feel like, and this could be a super generalization, but I feel like men tend to um, kind of move towards the action mm. more than the relationships and the characterization. Where J.K. Which is what Rowling I love really, about Harry Potter. Yeah, me too. Exactly. And so The Cursed Child was missing a lot of that um, sort of heart. And so the fact that she's Which writing is hard to play script actually makes me kind of Right. Yeah. Agreed. Well, we so should, I don't know. We, I'm sort of, we sort of makes me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm see, double checking. Okay, so then on, this yeah. is my. She wrote it. She's the only credited writer. She's the only credited writer she's on this. Only... See, now I'm kind of getting excited. You guys. I don't know. Well, see, Cause she's so good. I love her stuff. I don't know. Well, and then also David Yates is back to direct who directed like oh, four through eight. Man. He's the best. I don't know, you guys. Maybe uh, he'll be good. People I'm... were excited about the Hobbit movies because Peter Jackson was coming back. That right? Yeah, I you know. just don't know. Rash. But just take. We're gonna take a deep breath and we're gonna experience it. But see, I, so then I got excited about Fantastic Beasts, and then I heard it was being made into five movies, and my excitement level plummeted yeah. to the depths of the earth. Or, <laughs> the, or it... the depths of the earth because. Oh, so I think it's a mixed bag. I honestly don't know if I'm seeing this movie. <laughs> um, this is this has very much been uh, the 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 Hannah and Bean show guided by MJ. I'll probably get around to it eventually, but I you guys are doing the heavy lifting on this episode because you are much more knowledgeable and much more passionate about this than I am, and I thank you for that. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, do you guys have any, any other thoughts on Fantastic Beasts before we head, uh, head out? Um, uh, I think I'm just a little... I'm, I'm, I'm curiously excited. I'm a little worried that they've tried to shove too much plot into the movie because I was excited about it when it felt like it was just kind of exploring the American wizarding world and a new character of Newt's commander and his like creatures and all of that. And then when I saw the trailer saying that, you know, they were talking about Grindelwald's rise to power, which uh, I'm pretty sure doesn't happen in the United States. It, it happens in, in like Russia or Germany or I, I don't like somewhere, wherever Victor Crumb is from like Eastern Europe. So I think. yeah. So that seemed a little weird. So I'm I'm nervous. Nervously anticipatory. Um, yeah. So I've learned things doing this podcast that I did not know. Did not know J.K. Rowling is writing it. So that makes me happy. Didn't know David Yates is going to direct. So that makes me happy. Um, so I'm actually leaving this podcast more excited about seeing it than I was going into the podcast. Um, I've always been excited about the fact that Eddie Redmayne is playing Newt Scamander because he's Ugh. super charming and he was uh, no what I, I hate him. that guy <laughs> I want to punch that guy in the face MJ, so you can bad. go home you can go home That's but fine. he's so cute with his cute little freckles you can't want to punch those in the face he's so punchable he's adorable I loved Whatever, him in Les Mis I mean, and granted his character in Les Mis was lame but he's so cute I think he's cute I like him and so I'm excited to see him do something else um I overall am I I don't know now I don't know what to think like I just I, I I'm with Hannah like my my arc was very much like went from 
I will never see this to now I'm kind of like getting sort of excited about it a little bit, maybe cautiously looking forward to seeing it. So I'm sort of glad that this has given me the excuse to go see it because otherwise we would not have been going to see it because my husband was sort of putting his foot down. So um, I don't know. I'm kind of excited <laughs> putting now. his foot down. Sham. I mean, I could have gone and seen it on my own, but I mean, who wants to go uh, to a movie by themselves? Me. <laughs> I'm Jesse. Um, Carl, Carl, Colin Farrell is in this movie? Yeah! I'm so excited. So, what's up with that? Like Some guy in New York. I think he's the villain of the movie. That's kind of, I saw a preview that I had not seen yet before I went to go see Doctor Strange. villains. Yes. Um, I think he's the antagonist for Newt. Mm, okay okay um so that makes and, me think that grindelwald will just be like a like a glimpse into the future yeah that he's probably just gonna be yeah, a cameo and not so. yeah uh, i colin farrell is basically the only reason i would see this movie um i love colin farrell <laughs> well oh, then the mj there's your motivation yeah i I'll see it yep i agree I, did you guys see saving mr banks he's so good in that movie yes he is I love that I movie love so that much movie. he was so good at that in that role yep um he's good yeah so uh uh we'll be back next week and at the very least these two will be talking about fantastic beasts i'll probably see it um and yeah uh in the meantime you can find me on twitter at mj smith 891 are either one of you ladies on twitter i am on twitter but i don't know if i want the world to know because it's definitely the place i put my thoughts that i don't want to be on facebook oh yeah that's definitely (laughs) what i use twitter for as well yeah it's just alicia underscore bean so that's i am on twitter yep and then uh you can find the show on facebook the before and after show um you can email us before and after show at gmail.com you can find us on youtube this week mike moray and i are talking about something we haven't recorded the video yet so which means i haven't looked at our calendar so go find out and uh you can find this podcast on soundcloud itunes stitcher radio beyond pod if you're an android user and you can find my writing at uh word of the nerd online or word of the nerd.com uh, i don't think you need the online part and yeah uh do you do you guys have anything you want to plug uh no i think we're uh, uh i'm good no not now okay yeah, just my i mean my twitter and that's pretty much it all right um well until next week uh go watch the holiday Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>